bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 143 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. This podcast is usually where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after making the switch to a whole food plant-based diet. But this week, after everything that has been going on in Australia and overseas in the United States, I wanted to do a different topic today. It's still about hope. And I think that my whole podcast, and it may need a slight thumbnail change because I really want this to be a hope stories, as I always say, these are hope stories. And largely they're vegan hope stories for the animals and for the planet and for human health. But that compassion that I have for the animals and for veganism, the passion that I have for spreading the word and being a voice for the voiceless, it, it includes other, other issues and other, other people and other voices. Obviously, I watched the footage of... George Floyd being murdered over in the United States by a police officer. And I, I still don't know what to say about that as, as a white Australian, as a white person. Witnessing it, I can't imagine being an African-American at any time in history. I have spent the last week really trying to educate myself and find out ways that I can learn more and be a bigger advocate for issues of colour in the Black Lives Matter campaign, how I can educate my own children and myself better because it isn't no longer enough to be non-racist. It's no longer enough to be saying that I'm not I'm just not racist in this climate um in Australia you know our our leader Scott Morrison our prime minister you know he witnessed what happened in the United States and said he's so grateful that he lives in our country where we don't have race issues which is a very privileged white man thing to say because we do have race issues we are a colonized nation we came to Aboriginal land and we we stole it from the First Nations people and we are still causing trauma. Those the Aboriginal people of this country are still being traumatized. They are still so unfairly treated. They are still discriminated against. They are still they are still disproportionately represented in our justice system, in all areas of our justice system they still have far shorter life expectancy than white Australians for a multitude of reasons that all stem from colonisation and the oppression of those people. The world has finally been awakened, it feels, in the last week or so since George, George Floyd was murdered in the United States. But this has raised the issue of systemic racism here in Australia 
and I really wanted to to talk about it this week because I think it is something that really needs to be talked about and I, I, not by a white woman, not by me, just a white, another white voice speaking out and I felt so nervous about talking about it because I don't want to be doing any any ill step and I'm very I'm very awkward about it as you can tell <laughs> I'm very awkward about saying anything or being another white voice with our Mother Teresa complex coming in and speaking on this issue at all so this week I, I recently <laughs> funnily enough we have we'd met already um, we met when this guest reached out to me to learn more about how a whole food plant-based diet and veganism. So I didn't remember that we had that connection until I attended a Zoom class on Indigenous education with Indigenous educator Emily Webbers from the Gunai Kurnai people in Gippsland who now lives here on Wurundjeri land. I'm sorry if I've butchered that I'm very much trying not to. We are very much not educated about Aboriginal history in this country still in our schooling and education system. So I am still learning, even though I would have considered myself an educated woman and I did some education on Aboriginal culture and language in my degrees, I, I am still very much uninformed and ignorant on this subject and I've really been made aware of that in in recent times. So Emily Webbers is on the show today. She is a mum from the kinder, the patch kinder, which is the kinder that my son my, my son goes to the patch primary school. She is the founder of Warak Yumbo, which is her website and you can follow her on Instagram and Facebook. So she posts videos of herself during this lockdown. She's been posting, posting videos of herself and her children, educating her children on Aboriginal culture and life and all of the beauty that exists in this 60 plus thousand year old culture that was here before white people came and took over this beautiful land. In the show notes, please head to the show notes. We have a lot of information for anyone who's wanting to learn more themselves as a parent, as a person that lives in this culture, or if you're overseas and you'd like to learn more about Aboriginal history, Emily will be sharing you know, her website, her links, but also a list of children's books for anyone wanting to learn more. And I'll post a list of books for adults as well for anyone wanting to learn more and to be able to teach their children and read these stories, these beautiful stories. One of the things that I learned from Emily's talk, which made me want to get her on the show the most, was that we focus so much on the the trauma and the sadness, which is so important to be focused on and educated about so important to be focused on and educated about, but we we kind of skirt over the 60,000 plus years of rich, incredibly beautiful culture and history and practices and stories that um, we could share to 
to hold these people in reverence and to to to, to learn and discover the beauty that we're la- standing we're standing in such a beautiful rich on such beautiful rich lands and educating ourselves about the wonders of this culture and the wonders and richness of this of this land that we live on as Australians when we when we value something because of you know when we teach our kids about dinosaurs and all the amazing things about dinosaurs and it helps them to value dinosaurs you know or to value whatever it, whatever it is that they value if we teach them about aboriginal culture about the culture of first nations people or if you're in the US about the same thing about African American culture and the richness of of the history and their resilience and you know all of the practices and things that make up the full history and full story rather than just the you know the genocide like the genocide is so important and I'm not saying that's not part of it but for young 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 children starting early and educating people about the the beauty and the riches and the songs and the stories and the foods and the dance and the all of it the you know the the practices if we educate young children about all of the colors and traditions and the language and all of that about you know african american culture or in here about aboriginal culture and we start as babies, with the dolls, with the toys, as Emily talks about in her work, is with young children. And it's just so, so important that we begin by talking about and exposing our children to the the beauty of these of these cultures to help them see race through a different lens and see African American culture and Aboriginal culture through a lens of an empowering, beautiful, rich, incredible—just such incredible cultures that I know nothing about, or almost nothing about—and I know that through education we can create a future where our children grow into adults who aren't just not racist, but are anti-racism. That it's that it's just a thing that it's unfathomable that everyone isn't anti-racist because it is unfathomable that everyone isn't anti-racist to me now and I hope that it is for our children as they grow and we continue to educate and bring education into all ages of education and schooling for our children and exposure to this issue I'm sorry this 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 is going so long it's difficult there are so many resources on the in the show notes so please head over we've got links to books, podcasts and events held around our country for people wanting to educate themselves, to learn more, to expose their children to more diversity and to expose their children to Aboriginal culture. And I don't have the same resources for the US, but if you're in the US listening, please, these resources, if you just Google similar things in your own communities such as making play spaces in your home as Emily talks about lifting helping to lift up African American voices helping to educate our children programs in your area that help support and lift the voices of African Americans because it isn't white voices like mine that need to be heard right now it's the voices of African American people and the voices of Aboriginal Australians First Nations people I am learning along with you. If you're listening, maybe you're much more of an expert than me. I apologize if I'm mucking it up. 
I'm bound to along the way. So if I'm offending anyone, I sincerely apologize. As I said, like I am, I'm learning as I go about this. So please forgive me if you would like to get some education yourself today to of just places to begin. This is really just a stepping stone for people who want to learn more to begin to raise their own awareness about First Nations people and how they can become anti-racist and how they can educate their children and help pump up the voices of First Nations people. This episode is for you. If you're in the United States, there is so much that can be transferred over to what is going on in your in your country because, you know, we have a very long history of black deaths in custody, of extreme police brutality against First Nations people. We have lost 434 lost. We haven't lost. They were killed. 434 First Nations people have died since 1991. Royal commissions into Aboriginal deaths in custody. This is a really big issue here. And I'm going to let Emily talk to you about the rest of it. But I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And please share it with your family and friends online because I want more people to join me in educating myself on how to be an anti-racist and on how to support and pump up the voices of First Nations people in Australia and perhaps help pump up the voices of African Americans living in the United States. Uh, my heart goes out to all of you. I have no words left. That was a lot of words for someone with no words, but yeah, my heart breaks for for everyone. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Hello, Emily. Hi. Welcome to the show. Before we begin, I would like to do an acknowledgement of the land that we're on. Is that? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Don't stress too much about the wording. Don't, no one gets caught up on it. So okay. yeah. <laughs> this interview is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging and to the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. That's awesome. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. Thank you, Emily, for coming and joining me at such short notice. Thank you for having me. I'm, yeah, very happy to be here. <laughs> I met Emily. Actually, it's really interesting because I didn't realise I completely blanked that we'd met previously. <laughs> Until I went to message you to come on the show and I saw our message trail and I thought, oh, that's a, it's a small world. It was a totally different context that I was messaging you for. So. Yeah, yes, yes. And then it all came back, obviously, when I saw the message trail and I was like, oh, we know each other. But it's nice that you're on the show and, you know, we were talking about listening to the show in that other context anyway. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that was incredible. So I met Emily, as I mentioned in the introduction. Uh, I didn't meet, I didn't actually meet you, but I attended a Zoom like educational session where you were the instructor through Sire. Is that how I pronounce that service? Siri, through Siri, that's it, Siri, through Siri um, services recently about a but in, in Reconciliation Week, I think it was. And I learned so much from your session, even the bits that I came on just in the Q&A because I came late because I was doing all the bedtime routines when it was going. And then I watched it after the event because it was recorded. And I was excited to hear that you're a new prep mum at our 
my son's school, the Patch Primary School. So that was yeah. Next year, my son will be going to prep there. He's at the kinder oh, at the moment, but yeah, okay. very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So that was really awesome. Obviously, I wanted to have you on the show because of everything that's been going on. It feels globally, but it's possibly not as full globe as. But I think I think the whole globe is aware of what's going on in the United States right now. Following the murder of George Floyd, an African American man was murdered and filmed being murdered by a police officer while other police officers watched and did nothing. I think it touched it touched people that I never would have thought it would touch, you know, people who I thought wouldn't wouldn't in my Facebook friends who I didn't think would be as like my you know my relatives and people who would tend to be voting in dif- in different <laughs> different ways to me. It seems to have touched everyone that I know and everyone that you speak to and you hear and it's been such a big loud presence in the media and rightfully so I'm so glad that it's this issue is finally getting the awareness and and it's raising my awareness and so many other people's awareness and one thing I noticed in that group which was really lovely is that we all we all can put our hands up as if we're if we're white people privileged white people and say like even those who think that they, in inverted commas, understand and know and are educated, have so much to learn and don't understand. And I'm seeing such a wide range of people, you know, asking online and asking in comment sections to to where what books can they read? How can they educate themselves? What can what how can we actually learn? And I'm listening to you and listening to other speakers, African American educators around the world just talking about that we've had this for the last it seems like a while since kind of voting came in in America for African Americans voting rights came in and voting rights came in for indigenous Australians here we've kind of said all right we're going to include these people but and we're not going to see race we're not going to we're not going to be racist we're not going to see it there's no there's no there's no racism like there's no color there's no difference but that's now we're aware that just not talking about it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're in a landscape now where it's like um, it's almost it's harder to combat because it's not like this outward racism a lot of the time. A lot of it's, you know, born out of just really full on ignorance or like it is racism, but it's just harder to call out because it's not that full on, you know, you don't deserve to be here kind of thing. And I think we just live in a time period and I've seen it a lot being shared and I really love it is it's not enough just to not be racist yourself. You like, you need to be, it's the same with any kind of movement. It's the same with domestic violence. It's the same with like women's rights. Like, like you need to be prepared to call out the people around you as well and say that it's not okay. Like, yeah. So it's a huge movement where like for me personally, I'm just excited that it's gaining traction and I know the timing is horrible. I do. I, I completely understand everyone's position on that. And I understand like, you know, the complete fears around coronavirus. For me, Indigenous people are killed at the hands of police here all the time and it barely makes the news. The fact that we have this movement going at the moment that can really push a change in that space is almost, it would be sad to pass that up and just do it later because we've had plenty of protests and they just, they don't, they don't get the traction. Yeah. So I find it it's just such a rare opportunity that passing up would be terrifying. And I've tried to explain, and I know it's not exactly the same, but I've tried to explain it to a lot of people who've been like, 
you're scared to go out of your house because you're scared you'll catch coronavirus or you'll spread it or, you know, and someone, someone could die from that and, you know, your way of life will be impacted because of that. But it's like that's the same fear that people of colour are living with every day. Like that's the risk that they run every day when they go out of their house. And, like, we had the Royal Commission in 1991 and nothing's gotten better in all of those years, no matter how many protests we did, no matter how, like, do you know what I mean? So, like, this moment that's happening right now, even though that timing is horrendous, it would be such a shame to, like, give that up, like, not have, like, not take advantage of that right now because Indigenous people in Australia are actually incarcerated at higher rates per capita than African-Americans are in the US. And um, that's not to play down the issue over there. It's absolutely massive as well over there. Like, it's just the fact that, you know, our national leader came out and was saying how lucky he was to live here. And it's like, but that's, it's here. It's, it's so heavily here. Like, and the fact that you don't even know that as our national leader just shows how silenced that issue has been for so long. Just touching on what you just said, I, I think I, I read that there's been 434 deaths in custody since 1991's Royal Commission, which is a massive amount of people that have been killed in such a short amount of time it's it's huge and zero convictions from those deaths have happened despite the fact that in almost half the cases the institution failed to follow their own guidelines and in over half the cases the people that were being picked up actually weren't convicted of a crime so they hadn't even done anything wrong to be there in the first place It was interesting. I was reading, it's just just awful. I was reading, like trying to do some research around my children in the last, you know, preparing for this interview. And, you know, the figures around medical neglect and negligence for First Nations people who go to the doctor and are denied medications or denied treatment or who die from lack of treatment or being ignored I was so astounded by that. And it was interesting. I was listening to us talk yesterday about African-American, African-Americans. When narcotic addiction became a big thing over in the US, they were saying that it didn't actually happen for African-Americans and not because they're just not likely to get addicted to narcotics, but just that doctors don't believe that they're in pain and so don't prescribe them pain medication. They don't believe them when they go and they say that they're in pain as much as they believe white people. And so that's the only reason why they were kind of spared from being addicted to narcotics and pain medication more than white residents of America because they just weren't believed that they were suffering and that they were in pain, which just breaks my heart. (laughs) It just breaks my heart that these people can go to hospital, you know, these people, and just because of the different colours of their skin, they can be treated so differently and have such different health outcomes in the world. And I know from this podcast, you know, I interviewed a lot a, a lot of doctors and one of the things about Loma Linda, California, the suburb next door, so if you live where we live, like Belgrave and Tacoma, Belgrave, the citizens live till 90, in their 90s, and in Tacoma, like one, one second drive away, the life expectancy drops by 30 years. And with coronavirus as well, people keep talking about, oh, it's minorities who are suffering the worst, but minorities are suffering the worst possibly and very likely because they get far worse medical treatment. They have far less access to medical treatment. They 
socioeconomically disadvantaged far more often. So the types of foods they can afford, they live in food deserts and all of these situations, which means they have poorer health, poorer access to good nutritious food, worse access to medical treatment. It's not because they're they're black or that they're Aboriginal or that they're of a minority. It's because they just get less, yeah. they get treated inferior to white people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it's hard. It's not, it's not this, it's not necessarily the system saying you can't have this anymore, but it's all like it's it's just embedded within these systematic systems that this thought process, as saddening as that is, is still so heavily it, it involved. Is, it is. It's, it's so it's I think it's something because I, I keep hearing that with no dialogue, I keep hearing this. Oh, it's minorities that are dying more without the discussion of why is it minorities that are dying more? Why is it from coronavirus? And if you pull it apart, it's because of systemic racism. It's because of oppression. It's because of stigma. And and it's because they, why would you bother going to see a doctor or going and seeking help if you're going to be impacted by racism potentially or not be believed? Yeah, absolutely. And in America, it's it's a little bit um, it's it's a bit sadder again because, and it's just a good example of it's not necessarily about equality, but it's about equity a lot of the time. So they um, their health systems privatized. So you think of like the low SES groups in that are, are majority minorities just due to historical events that have taken place and have caused that to happen. And now those people like like the corona like to get tested for coronavirus at the start was in the thousands. I'm like, I, I know I don't have that in my bank account, like just to go get tested because I think I might have it. So, you know, like it's just it's it's everything around that that just causes these issues to continue because the starting the starting block wasn't the same. Even though you removed all these restrictions, the starting block still wasn't the same. And then it does. It causes this where they, they are getting coronavirus at higher rates and just health in general. <laughs> yes. So, Emily, can you give us an introduction of you? Because I know we've brushed ahead, but. Who are you? And for anyone, I know I've given a little intro in the start of this, but can you please, because you're obviously going to explain who you are and where you're from and the work that you do in more detail than what I ever could. So I would love to hear it from you if you would, wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm a Gunai Kurnai woman who, um, that's the Gippsland area, but I've lived on Arundri or Bunurong country, basically the Kulin Nations, most of my life. My son started attending kinder last year and they kind of asked if I could come in and talk and stuff like that. And I think, and this is me recognizing my own ignorance. I just assumed that in the 20 odd years since I'd left the education system, that this gap just wouldn't exist anymore. Like it would just like, they would have worked that out and we'll be right. But um, I was quickly learning that that wasn't the case. And like his educators were like very much like kind of like they really wanted to drive a very real embedded program, not just like a tokenistic you know, it's it's this week's so let's do something or it's this week's so let's do something like they really wanted and they wanted it to be from the voice of a First Nations person as well, which I think is um really important. And so from that, um, I actually did Indigenous studies at uni and obviously I'm an Indigenous person myself. I was like, okay, well, if this is an issue here and everyone's saying like, you know, I was starting to get talks from other people, like it's an issue in other areas of the education system as well. I you know, so I, I built the program for that and I built the program kind of around what was working with my kids and that kinder was 
almost like a fantastic pilot for it just to see what you know would work and would be really fantastic and um that's not to say that the education system hasn't made any kind of steps they've got the Moranong program now which does um cultural training and stuff like that and working on embedding it really properly in the system but it's just it's also getting people on the ground getting that running as well so it's running from two two areas but yeah like I think I really believe in it because I think if you don't hear anything and then you go to high school and then you start hearing about, you know, the massacres and everything else around that and all the injustices that happened, that not only can be really quite confronting, like out of nowhere, it also just, like, that's all you know. That's all you have about those people is is what happened to them and how awful that was. And there's an entire beautiful culture around that. Do you know what I mean? That if kids were learning that as kids at age appropriate levels, and I'm really quite pro that you can talk about most things at an age appropriate level. It's just that, like I spoke to my son about the protest and, and why we were attending and at a, at a level that a five-year-old can understand, at a level that's not going to scare him, but he understands why we're there. Like, and you can do that with so much stuff. Like, so, and, and then there's just stuff that isn't awful. Like, do you know what I mean? There's just so many beautiful aspects of this culture that we found the kids love. So, just to have that behind them by the time they get to high school, it's like, okay, this is awful that this happened, but I also know this, 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 and this, you know, about these people. This is part of your talk that really touched me because you, you do have such a rich culture and that I'm still so, so ignorant about. But it is, I was one of those people, and literally, I don't think I heard very much at all about Indigenous or Aboriginal culture. Now, we spoke about this at the beginning of before we pressed record, but could you just please touch on, because I don't, I know that some people Indigenous is triggering kind of word and I know some people Aboriginal is, but can you just explain a bit, unpack that a bit? Because I don't want to say the wrong thing and I'm very nervous about saying anything because of my own ignorance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's really important to recognise that um, although we are one race of people, like all races of people, we don't all agree. So there are, there are pockets of people that will find certain things offensive and probably due to, you know, things that have happened in history and in their past that resonates those feelings. So, um, but for me, like Indigenous Australians just encompasses like anyone that was Indigenous to this land. So Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, South Sea Islander. And then those three words break it up. So it's like Aboriginal people are the, the main landmass, Torres Strait Islander are the people that are from the Torres Strait and then South Sea Islander are the, are the people from the South Sea Islands off the coast of South Australia. I don't personally have an issue with any of the words I because I think you can break them all down and you find the history of where they started and it's it's pretty morbid. At the moment, they're the best words we have to describe everyone when we're talking about everyone as one. I think if anyone's really super worried and wants to just um, err on the side of caution, it's just easier to use the um, area that they are from. So, for instance, like, I'm a Gunai Kurnai woman. Like, so if I was finding those words really quite offensive or someone was, like, you know, struggling with that, just, yeah, Gunai Kurnai. But honestly, the easiest thing to do for me is, like, if you meet someone most of the time, especially in this kind of setting, they will introduce themselves. So just throw the word that they used back at them. Do you know what I mean? So if they said I'm an Aboriginal person, that's the word you use. Like, like I think that's the easiest way if you were worried to go about it. But, yeah, you're going to, like – not everyone's going to agree and it's, you know, and I totally understand why people don't when they break the words down. Like it's, they do come from, you know, quite morbid backgrounds, but yeah, it, you know, it, it also, sometimes it, it, unfortunately it is what it is and it, it can be really hard when our, our education system has that massive gap of not knowing. Yeah. I, I, 
I have to say that my education, I have some listeners from the US who might not know what Australia's education is like in relation to our First Nations people. And it is, I for me, when I finished my education in 1997, I really only learned about Aboriginal history in 1998 when I went to university and I one of my textbooks was stories from Aboriginal young people. It was a, a textbook that I read, just their stories, and I was just horrified. I just didn't know any of it, like none of it, like nothing. Yeah, and I have the same thing. Like, I, like when we were in school, we had um, Captain Cook and that was it. Like he came, founded Australia, and that was kind of it. That was all you yeah, heard about. Yeah, yeah. So it, I was horrified and then – I have to admit that you just kind of life just goes on, and there's been bits and obviously I I've been you know, I've been to Belgrave Survival Day and I've done bits and pieces, but it now in the wake of all that's been going on the last fortnight, I've realised that's still very tokenistic and not actually enough. It's not enough. I think it's great. A lot of people don't go, so I think it's fantastic. You know that there's and it's hard to make the step on your own when you don't know where 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 to go. Like it's 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 so hard to do that, and I can totally absolutely understand. That, you know, um, I think it's great that people are starting to recognise that, you know, those one-off events aren't enough. I think that's absolutely fantastic, but I can completely understand how, you know, you don't know where to start. Like, like anything, you just don't know where to begin. Well, you also, I think, not to, I, I, at the moment I feel so nervous to say anything that sounds like, <laughs> that anything that sounds, like, I think many, many, many white people a feeling, I'm just owning it, I'm just feeling a little bit like I don't, I'm so, I'm so now so aware of how part of the pro- problem, a really long problem that I am, just in my lack of acknowledgement, my lack of ed- learning myself, doing the work myself, my lack of really educate. I've, I've, I've touched on it with my children, but like more or, you know, well, I'm, I'm aware that that's an issue and I'm so, I guess, anxious that I'm going to say or do the wrong thing or put my nose in places that isn't my place now to act. Like it is a place that like Black Lives Matter movement and the movement here in Australia don't need more white people like acting like, like going, oh, my white guilt's making me act and do these big, big statements. I'm really aware that I don't want to come across like that where I'm like, oh, my privileged white guilt that I have for existing on this land is now making me want to do these, these actions that aren't my place to take. Like this, the place needs to be, you know, with you in a way, but I don't know, I don't know how to navigate this I feel very uncertain. No, and and that's something I hear a lot of. And I'm a real, like, I think stepping with no knowledge is not a great idea. But I see, like, a lot of people that are like, I just don't want to do the wrong thing. And it's it's the same thing. Like, you can look stuff up and you can read it. And then if you step with that knowledge, I think making the step rather than not making the step is always better. Like, do you know what I mean? The trying and then stumbling along the way and being picked up and rolled through is better than not doing it at all. Um, in terms of, like, movement, so, like, my, my husband's not Indigenous, um, and I think it's just the presence is, like, so amazing at the moment. And I think the one thing I have actually noticed different in a lot of areas with, with this last protest as opposed to the ones before is people are just trying to pump up those First Nations voices. Do you know what I mean? So I saw so many things on Facebook where it was, like, they were just sharing 
literally direct quotes from other people, like, do you know what I mean, from First Nations people that were pumping up those voices, like being like, we support this issue. And here is someone who's literally impacted from that issue to tell you why. Like, so I think that's um, hard. Don't get me wrong. My, my husband has had plenty of really hard conversations this last week. Um, but it's like, it, it's so important. And I think you can put so much knowledge behind yourself to step forward and do the right thing. And like, and most people like I'm happy for people to try and people to ask me questions and like, you know, throw things at me to try and make the right steps because I think it's important. Like we can't do this alone. You know, we, we need people behind us and helping us. So I think that's important to be able to provide that space for everybody really to be able to, you know, that that's how change happens throughout history really is people, you know, pushing it with the people that are affected at the forefront. Yeah, yeah, yes. Thank you. So for people who are wanting to educate themselves and to take the, you know, those first steps, where would you recommend that they begin? Like where would you recommend they go to find out this information? Yeah, so it's, it's especially with social media nowadays because I, I, I see a lot of things that are, I'm like, ugh, they're not really facts. They're just like, you know, so I, I totally understand. Like it's very convoluted and can be very hard to find. Um, in terms of really formal stuff, and I only just found this out myself, but I actually really love the organisation, Yarn Strong Sisters, they run stuff for adults. I also think just if, because I think so many of us are scrolling on social media nowadays, if you were to like look up the hashtag Indigenous Education or Aboriginal Education and just start following some of those pages that you can see, you know, post really regularly and stuff like that, like you're just automatically going to get that information while you're scrolling. Like I, like, I know I get a lot of my news and information through my social media pages nowadays and so I think that's really really important and a lot of them will share things like books and you know like stuff that you can follow on and you can find something that works best for you because we're all busy and you know life is big and there's you know some things will work for some people and some things will work for others so I think that's yeah a really important starting space is just kind of just getting it through your everyday stuff that you would do and then following on from there. Okay. So that was Young Strong Sisters? Yeah. Yeah. So Yarn, like Y-A-R-N. Oh, Yarn. Sorry. I thought you yeah. said Young. Yarn. No. <laughs> yeah. Strong Sisters, S-I-S-T-E-R-S. Oh, good one. I don't know. Could I'm it be gonna, sisters with an A-S? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's literally what I'm checking because <laughs> I've seen that so often. And I don't want to get it wrong because they are an amazing organisation. Yep, you're right. S-I-S-T-A. So I am glad I checked that. S-T-A. Yeah. Young, yarn Strong Sister. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. All right, I'll put that in the show notes as well for everyone. And the hashtags Indigenous Education and Aboriginal Education. I think that's a really simple place for people to start is look at, is just following those types of pages. But if you have young children like I like I do and like you do, I love you know we, I love stories and my kids love stories. So are there children's books that you would recommend parents read to their children on this subject on beautiful Aboriginal culture? Yes, there's so many children's books which are amazing. The one I, I tell everyone to start with, and I think a lot of people, anyone that's seen anything in this space probably has actually seen the book but it's called Welcome to Country and it's just a beautiful starting spot especially because it is based on Rundra Country so anyone that actually lives here it's just such a beautiful starting spot and it's such a lovely kids book I have a and a whole list of them that I'm happy to send you if you want oh, of please, stuff that I please please and we'll put them yeah. in the show notes <laughs> rather than just throwing yeah throwing um titles out here I can absolutely send you the list and yeah because I think they're fantastic um and then another if if books aren't your kids thing um 
ABC Kids do Little Yarns podcast, which talks, it tells all about dreaming stories from various areas around Australia. And it really is just so beautiful to listen to. Like, even I just enjoy listening to it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I never knew that. Ex- Little Yarns podcast. So that's on iTunes or Stitcher or? On um, ABC Kids um, Listen app. ABC Kids Listen app. All right. Yeah. I'm definitely getting that today. I know that you I, – I know that there's so, – we only have an hour and I wish we could talk about so many things. But as we mentioned and I went off on a tangent, one of the things I loved about your work and the work that you're doing is, you know, we need to we need to raise, you know, in this, in this what we're just talking about, we need to raise children who are anti-racist. You know, we need to, we need to – we need to do that to change the world, to create peace and make <laughs> to make everyone feel. Hundred percent, and I think that's the truth. We like you just like we need to raise kids that are, are happy to call out injustices in all facets of life. Like do you, I think that's that is absolutely the way that you know we would just make the whole world a real positive space. Like yeah, and the work that you do, and that's what I want to get into now. The work that you do in educated rather than I think in high school we are all the texts tend to just want to deep dive into the suffering and adolescents are happy to deep dive into all the suffering and the struggle and and I think it's so 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 important for us to know but as you said imagine if we knew the what was it 60 60,000 years yeah. of rich yeah. I'm I'm, I'm the, that number I know is not quite correct but I think it's oh. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, sixty thousand years plus. Like it's yeah, it's amazing. Sixty thousand plus years of really rich. Uh, how many languages were here? Like three hundred or thousand or some yeah. huge amount yeah. of languages. Yeah, yeah. So like, and I think a lot of people don't realize that is, and it does make it difficult because yeah, it's different lands and stuff like that. But um, people just don't realize that we weren't really a country. We were more of a continent, which it, it makes a lot of sense when you look at the world and how massive our country is compared to a lot of others. Um, but yeah, we were a continent. So we had so many different languages and so many different stories and it, yeah, just like this beautiful, massive tapestry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I just think that that if people knew that as children and were, were taught that this was a continent and that this was full of rich stories and peoples that that obviously hearing later on hearing about that or hearing about that the, the, they'll be more devastated. Do you know what I mean? That it was just all taken and that you would value the people and the story and the histories of this land other than just the Captain Cook story where we came and we just annihilated everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's also part of like kind of stamping out that kind of um like that I hate the word, but like that that savage mentality. Do you know what I mean? Because when you just heard about like Captain Cook came here and there were these people and they had like no way of life and like like because that's kind of the story that I got when I was in school. And um and I like I knew that was so vastly not true. But when that's kind of what you're faced with and you have nothing to back it up, no other no other way of knowing to back it up, that's what you're going to go into life knowing. Mm. So the work that you do, can you describe a little bit more about Warak Yambo? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, I just wanted it to be as accessible as possible. So I kind of broke it up into like a lot of different things. So like there's like uh, in-school workshops, kind of one-off ideas that work well for events. Um, I've got like 30 plus activities that, you know, just range from wherever you're wanting to start or however you're wanting to go about it. 
Um, I've also got resources that just are things that I felt like my kids were lacking a lot of the time. So we've got like um, peg dolls and um, painted animals and um, like place, like little little play sets that like are made to size to suit the space that people want them in. Um, and then we've just got like other resources that go with that so like flag boards and you know like stuff that would probably fit a little bit more better in an education setting and story stones and stuff like that but um yeah like I just I just wanted it to be as accessible as possible so if it was you could only get products then I wanted those products to feel as real as and authentic as possible or if you wanted to get yeah like if you if you only had the budget to have someone in for one session then that's possible if you have the budget to create a really embedded program which is is my dream for our education system anyway you know, that's available as well. So for me, it was just about making it as accessible as possible. And then COVID hit and everything kind of got shut down and we were home anyway. And I was, I just started recording the kind of activities I would run with my kids. They look like very, very, very home video stuff. My kids talk during them. Like it's very home videos and it's very basic level stuff. But I was just like, we're doing it anyway. We're home anyway. Let's just record it. And hopefully this helps other people as well. Like it gives them something to run with as well. And and where are the recordings for people to go watch? Yeah, so they're all on my Instagram and my Facebook. Yeah. Um, and what is your Instagram handle? It is Warwick Yambo. Okay, so. yeah. And how do we spell that for people who are listening who don't want to go look at the show notes? But look at the show notes if you <laughs> If you can, because we'll have lots of links to the books and to the Warwick Yumbo website. Yeah, so it's it's spelled W-U-R-R-U-C-K-Y-A-M-B-O. Okay, so you can we can watch those videos over on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And everyone – so are the, the, products, the products that you make, they are on your website for people to check out? Yeah, so they are on my website. I'm – open to like messages and stuff if people you know want to get more information or want to understand a bit better about what what exactly it is um that's totally fun too so I'm, I'm open to either way but yeah they are available on my, my website most of the stuff is made to order I don't stock a lot here just because I'm pretty pro sustainable living so I just try to not have stuff I don't need to have so a lot of it is made to order and yeah yeah can absolutely yeah contact me anyway I try to make sure I'm very contactable <laughs> Awesome. So the, the 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 products I just I saw during the Zoom session, and I'll have the link to your website in the show notes. Uh, but I loved the sticks and the stones and the dolls, and I especially loved the diorama. And I, my kids were looking at it with me, and um, I loved it all. But uh, I um, they I could see them that that really triggered their imagination with the campfire and the yeah. The people and they were talking about it as they were looking at it, and I—that's when I, like, I could see it ignited curiosity. Like all, they loved looking at all the sticks and the stones and the dolls. But that diorama was when they were starting to just really get immersed in the story and the storytelling. And I thought I could see in my own children just without you even teaching me us how to use it or how to talk about it or anything that. It was engaging them in a conversation that they might may never otherwise have in their education system. Oh, thank God. Like, I love hearing stuff like this because I think, yeah, it's, it just makes like I've based all the stuff over what's worked with the kids I know and my own kids. So like hearing that, you know, people can feel the engagement in that. And I think that that's exactly the purpose of it. It's just for like open ended play, like imagine and, and just also like challenging your way of thought, thought process. Like I can't, you know, I can't 
I've lost count of the amount of times I was asked, you know, did you just sleep under the stars? Like, like, you know, like, it's just like, it's challenging that thought process of being like, how did Indigenous people live then? How do they live now? How do these stories relate to the land? Like, for me, I've, I've used, I've got a larger diorama that I, that I use for um, just telling stories as well, because you can just move things through, you know, through the diorama and it's, it just creates that visual aspect as well with it that I think, it just yeah, like like you said, like you can see the kids' minds open up with it and understand a bit more about how you know everything works. Absolutely, and I think for you know for me having tools like that when I and having like a website like yours and having I just think it's so important because I don't know how to teach my kids. So having a service like yours with a first with an actual not just a white person <laughs> giving an explanation <laughs> of what we we've googled about indigenous culture like if you're having an actual aboriginal person a first nations person talking and teaching about your culture yourself you know and teaching the next generation of you know as, as Australians and people who you know who are living here now about all the richness of this of this land it's just so invaluable and I'm so glad that you're out there doing it and I was so excited to hear your work in the series session and then to learn more about it and I just don't know how we can get more of you now that schools are going back like how we can get this work to more schools you can't just be expected to come into our school <laughs> just into our school in the Dandenongs yeah so I don't know did councils I think did the councils fund programs like this is that something that, that that's some way of getting paid for this work and to get this work out to more places yeah so I don't know how the funding's working post-covid but there was the ability that you could apply for for funding specifically for indigenous programs to be run in your school and I would fingers crossed that that hasn't been impacted due to where everything's needed to be moved around financially but yeah so that absolutely was the case beforehand that you could get funding for um, indigenous education in your schools and I'm same I'm in agreement with you I just think it's so invaluable and I think it I think the part that gets lost a lot is like if I wanted to learn about like 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 saying so we connected before because I wanted to learn about becoming vegan and I knew you were vegan you're kind of an expert in that space like I wouldn't go ask someone who wasn't an expert in the space about how that works properly because you're just not you're not going to get the same depth of information. And I, I was even trying to look that up beforehand and felt like I didn't get anywhere near the depth, depth of information before I actually spoke to you about it. So I think like that side of it's, you know, like it is, it, it's about making sure it's not, it, you're getting the education from the correct people, regardless of what you're trying to be educated in. But um, yeah, funding for schools is rough and I completely understand, which is why I tried to build it to be sort of as accessible, you know, as the school could have. Yeah. Well, I hope that I hope that you can get funding. I hope that that is um, something that's really it's, it's definitely needed. And I think that councils will be aware now that this is an important issue after the last week's this weekend's protests that just occurred. That people around the world is in our country. I mean, are um, and the world are. This is something that gets votes for one because we're just talking about it as why they act on anything. It's often if they think the people are going to vote. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. On, on those actions. So hopefully our councils are aware now that this is an issue that is important to the society as, at large and that they will want to fund 
programs like yours in schools because it is something that now we're all saying this is an issue that needs to be dealt with, not just ignored as it has been ignored for decades and decades and decades, ignoring the trauma of these people, but actually to educate and prevent further trauma from continuing into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And you think like, I'm a real firm believer that it's it's like anything you start as young as possible with the base levels and you have stuff to build on later on. And then those kids with all of that level of information would hopefully go out in the workforce and break down this systemic problem that we have later on. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a long-term vision, but like that would be amazing that if the next generation of kids just went out into the workforce and just understood so much better the landscape of Australia, I, I think that would be amazing, like absolutely amazing. <laughs> I think that knowing about it as well, you think about corporations like what happened during Reconciliation Week when Rio Tinto just blew up a 46,000-year-old heritage site. The saddest part about that is they fund so much of the Indigenous sector. Like, And it's just something like that just proves that it's just like it's a tick the box. Like we look great because we're doing this. We don't actually care i know like cotton on i love you know not to bag out cotton on but when they're like clothes cost two cents but they like buy a water bottle for two dollars and we'll give it to a third world country to help them with stuff you're like but your your clothes are made by those people you know for very yeah. little like yeah absolutely they're buying back our guilt for paying for things that should be worth a lot more at the end when we buy a bag for two dollars and they send it somewhere so we feel better about not Ignoring the fact that our clothes are made by someone somewhere that suffered greatly and was paid very little. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but hopefully yep. with education programs like yours, in this instance, in the, on this issue, you know, the people at Rio Tinto and the, ki- the future kids working for Rio Tinto or the future kids working for, you know, BHP or those mining industries that are focused on, you know, mining resources that we do need resources like to make all the things that we need. Hopefully we can find more sustainable options and solutions and raise generations of people that will find more sustainable solutions other than just digging into the earth and digging out the, the resources. But perhaps if kids are aware of the history that they'll grow into adults who make different, vastly different choices about how we use the earth and use the resources of this beautiful country. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, yeah, I, I get really excited for the next generation and I don't know if that's how everyone's felt throughout history when they've been pushing for change is that they see that the next generation can do that much more with it. But for me, I yeah, I'm really excited. I just like I, I look at my son and he has so much optimism. Like he just like even after Saturday, I was like, how do you feel about it? And he was like happy because now those people won't be mean anymore because he just believes that if that many people came out and said it wasn't okay that that's that's it like it's not going to be okay and everyone will know that and that's that's how the change will happen and they're 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 the next generation of kids that will grow up and be like well no we we said we said no like so you know like like like, let's let's be better like (laughs) and I think yeah that's definitely yeah I get really excited for the next generation because I think that they can change so much so quickly just with knowing better than we did. Mm. And that's the thing because no children, I was talking to my dad about this yesterday, like no children are born racist. We make racists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, and it's, and it's through everything. It's through, it's, it, it, it can be really outwardly through how we talk, but it could be maybe not quite that full on. It's, it's through the characters that they see growing up or it's through um, like a, a test I, I really love and it's old, but I just think it's so relevant and I've seen it with my own kids, how relevant it is, is the doll test. And they basically set out two dolls, 
one's white and one's black. And they ask, the, they ask the kids, which one's the nice doll and which one's the mean doll? And they just go through this whole thing and then they go, which doll looks like you? And it's like that's like you've inadvertently created that, with not, not through saying anything, but just through the stuff that they see in the media and the stuff that they see in everyday life and just like, and just like the access of it. Like I'm really pro, you don't have to be darker skinned to have like darker skinned dolls. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the, we, we live in a very diverse like country. Let's make sure our kids are seeing that in their playrooms in their Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like make sure they're seeing that there too. And then you can see little things like if they're, kind of playing a bit you know off with it then you can open up that conversation before it becomes a bigger issue in adulthood yeah true the doll test is is heartbreaking but so true and when I was reading up for this that people you know I was reading about you know that you your kids need more toy you know dolls and toys my sons don't like dolls I wish I wanted them to like dolls so badly but they're very very anti-doll I have the opposite issue with my daughter so my my son's very like broad he'll play with everything and I'm like I was kind of the opposite I was like yeah play with a car and she's yeah she's a bit obsessed with dolls and she's only one so I need to just let it go but <laughs> I'm very much like a neutral kids neutral kids I, I, I'm, I was just talking to someone recently I wanted you know when Iggy was a baby I wanted to get him a doll and he just threw a doll on the ground when he first saw it like I do not want this doll and then I wanted him to get a gender neutral like gender neutral clothes and gender neutral like toys and I had a walker and my husband said let him pick let him pick the walker like whether the one he let him walk to the one he likes and I was hoping he'd pick this rainbow pink and green ladybug walker thing and he picked this car with like a fake wooden mobile phone and a wooden thing and I was like I don't want to get that and my husband's like you have to that's what he picked yeah yeah it's a real battle I've been noticing it with my second because my son is like he's just very like you know he likes frozen he likes monster trucks like he's very just very broad and I'm like yeah like I've done it and then like I'm very much being knocked down to size with my daughter (laughs) my second wore princess dresses from the op shop that he's my son because his little two best friends were girls and they were all spinning around with frozen dresses on and so he wanted to spin with a dress on. So I was like, oh, look, I'm, I've got one that's like not. But now my, my eldest has now swayed him to not want to wear it anymore. Which is oh, so hard. Yeah. So and hard. I, I, like, my husband talks to me all the time about it. He's like, but you pushing it is probably not helpful either. Like, it's, You want them just to be who they're going to be and be allowed to have all that range. I, I wonder if they can feel our our like tension and resistance because all of my friends who've wanted girls who've wanted daughters to be you know gender more 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 like understanding that they can play with more masculine to- you know masculine in inverted commas toys and clothes and all these things have all just been like I only want to wear the prettiest frilliest dress in the whole wide world and I only want to play with my dolly and my pram and my mum wanted that girl that played with the dolly and the pram so much you know she my room was like pink vomit you know she'd pinked everything in my room and my all my clothes were like pink and I just hated them all I wanted was gumboots and a flannelette shirt and a freaking build a cubby and jumping cow shit you know like I was my mum's worst nightmare whereas nowadays everyone wants their daughters to you know be more yeah yeah I love it it's just so funny. So where can what, where do you think people parents should start or people should start educating themselves like what apart from Instagram what do you I guess one thing I just before I say that question one thing I wanted to say is when I was reading I was they were like you know you need to have more colored friends and my husband's 
Indian, but it's white. It's so white where we live. Like it's the whitest white, white town. And I want my kids to be exposed, but I don't want to be like trying to like force myself <laughs> into, into, into people's friends. Like, hello, random Af- Aboriginal person in the street. <laughs> Can you be friends with our family because <laughs> I don't know any Aboriginal people and I have to be your friend now. <laughs> you have to take us on board. How, how can we connect and expose our children to more? You know, to, to more diversity. I, obviously, you know, I can go to we go to Springvale. We go into the city all the time and meet. But as far as indigenous culture, like, where can we start in helping my children know that these people are people rather than just characters on the screens? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I know, I know, I said you know, to be more tangible than this. But, like, I think it is a good starting spot is is just attending events. And you just – you find out so much about attending events. And I think also just getting involved with your local gathering place, I think, like, there's just – there's so much great work that they do in those spaces. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to, like, you know, obviously a lot of the services they provide are for Indigenous families, but they just have such a wealth of knowledge and also just such a great opportunity for learning in those spaces as well. Like um, the one my mum works at – she they have like a really big indigenous garden and um they have a whole bunch of people that just come in and volunteer their time so they're just around like do you know what I mean they're just around it like like if that's like you know wanting to get like that kind of everyday exposure that's that's a way of doing it you know like they kind of they know how to garden and they're helping maintain the garden but then they're just also around just seeing how that culture works okay so where 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 do we what do we google to find these gathering spaces yeah gathering places so um for us specifically mullum mullum's the closest one out here but you could i I would imagine let me try and google it because that's that's not fair for me to assume when i i hold i hold that information already that's not fair Okay, yeah, so you can, you can Google, like, local Aboriginal networks and ga- gathering places and it will come up. So, yeah, for anyone tr- wanting to, you know, connect and get involved with something local to them, I-, I would encourage that as well. But, yeah, I think also just attending events. Like, there's a lot of events that are around throughout the year uh, in specific weeks and just throughout the year in general. And I think um, that's just, like, a great starting spot, like, in terms of just ex- experiencing and getting, you know, kids involved and I, okay. So I did mention Belgrave Survival Day uh, earlier. And if you're in, you know, around the Dandenong Ranges listening or if you're in Victoria or anywhere, it is an amazing day. I only went to for the first time this year myself with my children and it's for all ages. There's music, there's educational workshops, there's there's so much. And I, you ran a workshop there this last this past of Belgrave Survival Day? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. So um we were um making rainbow serpents and weaving kids' baskets, which basically it starts with like a basket template so for kids to weave. Um and yeah, I I really loved Belgrave Survival Day and um I will be there next year as well. So that's exciting for me. But um yeah, like I would encourage everyone to go down there. And even if you're in wider Victoria, Melbourne run one as well in the city at the Treasury Gardens. So Belgrave's not necessarily local like there is one that's run in the city and it's it's very much the same vibe as the one in Belgrave it's just it's a bit bigger and there's a few more market stalls and stuff like that but um yeah it's same thing music's happening there's workshops happening it's yeah really beautiful way to spend the day it was such a it was incredible I did not know how moved I would be during that day I actually found it it was so well done. I didn't know what to expect. I had no expectations, I think, going in. But I was just so, like, the talks and the 
singing and the music and the workshops. It was just really, really, really beautiful. And it made me feel so hopeful for the future of our country, actually just being in that space and, and seeing it cel- this, the, your culture celebrated and Aboriginal culture celebrated, obviously, and, and having my children there to witness it and be exposed to it rather than just going to an Australia Day barbecue and listening to Triple J's Hottest 100. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that I'm not on the committee, but that committee works really, really hard for that day to be successful every year. And it is that they do a fantastic job of pulling it off. Mm, it's awesome. It's awesome. So I guess my I normally finish my, pod, my podcast with your top three biggest tips for whatever the person's expertise is. Uh, but yours is this. So what would be your t- just three? It doesn't have to be like the, in order of importance because it's a bit hard to pull that out of your head on the spot. Just three things that you think we can do to educate ourselves, like places that we should start. Yeah, okay. So uh, my top three would probably be, and I think, I I don't know if they usually talk about them through the talk, but I think I probably have mentioned all of these. But for me, it would be about um, like embedding for kids, embedding play spaces into your home that encourage that kind of, you know, open-ended play to do with First Nations people, I think it would be um, pumping up, regardless of how you're trying to go about this, but listening to First Nations voices. So if you're an adult that wants to learn, make sure that like, there's a bunch of adult books out there, but like, just make sure like, it's a First Nations person that you're hearing from. And then like the same thing with kids, it's, it's a First Nations book. It's not you know, some sort of reincarnation of something like it's, yeah. So like, I, I think that would be probably really important. And then I just think raising kids, I think we hear a lot about topics that aren't appropriate for children. And there's a lot, like, there's lots that we don't want to like, you know, we don't want to delve in and, you know, traumatize children. I'm all for that, but there's just the base level can be learnt now. And I think that's really, really important. And then I would probably team that with talking to the people around you and hearing the kind of thought processes that are around like I know my husband's learned a lot through our marriage about the kind of thought processes he had around him that he probably wasn't aware of beforehand and you know just being willing to call him out because if our kids see that then they'll do it later on especially if they're hearing it from a young age mm, yes yeah I think it's so important and I I think it's something that all of us I don't like controversy do you know what I mean like we don't like controversy oh. so we just avoid <laughs> topics that cause controversy but I think it's time for a little discomfort in the people who have been really comfortable for a really long time whilst other people have continued to be really uncomfortable for a really long time, if that makes sense. No, that is perfectly worded because I'm, I'm naturally a person that probably doesn't like to argue for the sake of arguing. Like I, I, I totally get wanting to avoid controversy, but you, you talk about something to do in this space and I'm the first person to pop up and, you know, pipe up and it, it, it is exactly that. It's, it's, it's more uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? Not to like, like, like growing up with it, it's been more uncomfortable not to. So as much as I hate controversy and how uncomfortable that makes me, it's more uncomfortable not to, and just let that, let that go and let that be, you know, a thought process that someone had. Yeah. For people who are listening to this podcast, obviously, as you know, Emily has been, it's, it's majority of a vegan hope stories podcast. And so this is quite off topic for normal. But I think that for me, veganism is about being a voice for the voiceless. It's about being a voice for the vulnerable and who are the exploited and the oppressed. And it, it makes me uncomfortable still talking about veganism in lots of places, even though I'm very 
have a podcast. <laughs> so you would think it wouldn't, but it does because it causes people to feel uncomfortable when they're eating, when they're eating at their dinner tables, when they're wearing leather around me, when they're doing all kinds of things that aren't vegan, when they're going to petting zoos or they're going to the Melbourne Zoo or they're I'm, my presence makes people uncomfortable as a vegan. And I think that I've had to really go from being like, I'm not going to say anything to go to being like, I actually need to because nothing's going to change if I stay in my comfort, in my bubble and not say anything. So not that I go around saying to everyone when they're eating like, oh my gosh, that's a, that's, you're eating a bowl full of chicken pieces. <laughs> like I yeah, don't, no. <laughs> I don't tend to like go walk around Chadston's food court and just point out to everyone what they're eating. <laughs> but if someone is saying to me something that's like, you know, someone's saying to me, oh, pigs don't feel pain, you know, or, yeah, you know, I will say, oh, yes, they do. You know, yes, they do. I've, they, they do feel pain. Like it's just your conditioning that believes that they don't feel pain. And I think that, I think if you're listening and you're a vegan, but you're also don't, don't like controversy around race, you need to get that, that, that same, that same empathy and that same thing feeling that we have for the animals and extend it out because we don't, we don't have to be just one one cause focused you know there's so many causes that can capture our hearts and that, that need raising there's so, there's so many voiceless you know the children of our world women elderly people who you know they become elderly and we, we kind of lose sight of anyone that's over 40 pretty much <laughs> 50 <Yeah. laughs> they they become forgotten and voiceless in our in our culture and 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 indigenous people and my you know, all many minorities are voiceless under what do we even call the white white <laughs> what are we? This white yeah. toxic plague. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no, but I do, I do get what you're saying. I'm, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree that that's. We yeah, need to speak up for everyone, and if you're someone who finds the courage to speak up for animals, it's just extending that bravery outwards to to speak up for First Nations people. And if you're listening in the United States, all of the things that Emily has said, I do, be, I do believe, and from the research that I've been doing recently myself all this this is universal like the things that you're saying about embedding play spaces in your home for african-american awareness if you're listening in the united states in you know pumping up african-american voices if you're in, in america that's a great still absolutely can be transferred over to american culture and the issues that are going on with race over there at the moment and black lives matter movement Educating children, you know, this should be in all schools and in preschools and kindergarten. These conversations and this education, as you say, age-appropriate education should be through all the lifespan to prevent this and to weed out racism. We we need to all be anti-racists moving forward and to raise our kids to speak up against racism. So if you're in the United States and you're thinking, like, definitely use these three tips apply to you too. And the education, and if you have, you know, African American spaces, gathering spaces, or cultural spaces, or festivals, getting your families along to those, and meeting people, and learning more about that culture. Even if you think you're not racist, and I would always say I'm not racist, but it's not enough to not be racist. It's yeah. We need to be anti-racist. So even if you're yeah. not racist and you think you're raising your kids to be racist, if they're not receiving learning about it at school, if they're not 
seeing it in their communities, if they're not seeing colour and diversity, it's not enough to just not be racist any longer. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're impacted by the people around us. And so like that, that that's where I think that real anti-racist thing comes from because if you're silent on it, that just breeds the ground for if someone does have a thought process that could be considered racist. It just it just allows that to grow. Whereas if you're calling, we're impacted by the. There's a reason we make the friends we make, and you know, like we're impacted by the people around us, and so we all have a hand to play in standing up for for all. Like I, I'm a firm believer of all causes. Like do you know what I mean? Like standing up for what is right and just. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So, Emily, we're just lastly remindering everyone where they can find you and follow you. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and I have a website. So so that is, my gosh, my brain is still so. Warak <laughs> Yumbo, Warak Yumbo. Yep, perfect. Everywhere. Please check out the show notes. All the links we've talked about will be in there. I'm going to add some extra stuff in there as well. And Emily is going to provide us with a book list of children's books. Yes. Yeah. In there. Yeah, I'll send it to you now. Awesome. Thank you. And all the links to Survival Day and all of those things will be in there. So please head over there and check out. Hopefully it's a helpful resource to you in your own journey educating yourself in how to become an anti-racist and to support the First Nations people of this country and having their voices heard. But if you're in the United States, to support yourself in, educate, in educating yourself around African-American culture and how you can best be a person pumping up African-American culture over in the United States. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope I didn't totally muck that up so badly. I hope no, it was okay. that was amazing. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and information with us all. Everyone, please head to the show notes for the link to Emily's website, Warwick Yumbo, and follow Warwick Yumbo, W-U-R-R-U-C-K-Y-A-M-B-O on Instagram and Facebook for videos and everything that Emily's putting out. There are so many links um, in the show notes for you around books and educational resources for you to access and bring into hopefully your own life and in educating your own children or into your community, into the school system, please reach out to your school. Now, I mentioned in the show notes about the RAP programs. To learn more about RAP programs to implement into your own school or businesses, reconciliation awareness programs, they're really, really, really awesome. And there's links in the show notes for you to to learn more. So please head to the show notes to learn more about RAP programs. The Reconciliation Action Program. Reconciliation Action Plan Program provides a framework for organizations to support the national reconciliation movement. No matter where your organization is on its reconciliation journey, there is a RAP program to suit you. Schools and early learning services can develop a RAP through Naragunawali. So I've put um, the link to the website where you can learn more about RAP programs in the show notes. I know, as I said, we didn't mention it in the episode. just didn't get time to. But there's all the information in the show notes for where you can yeah, learn more about RAP programs for yourself, for your business, for your school, for your community. And that's a really awesome initi- initiative. So if you can, please head to that website and check it out and see what you can do. There's so much more information there, so please head over there. Please like 
and share Emily's story in this episode with your family and friends on social media. This this information needs to get out to to as many people as possible. It doesn't have to be this episode of the podcast if you don't. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this episode, but please share more things such as, you know, um, ABC Kids, Listen App, Little Yarn Podcast or Yarn Story Sister or please share, you know, a link to In My Blood It Runs on your social media, whatever you can share on social media about this topic to your family and friends. It's really important that we all do um, in discussions at our workplaces. It's really important to begin to call out um, our friends and family and colleagues if they're using racist language and or if their culture is in, inherently racist. Now is the time for us all to, to stand together and lift up the people in our countries who have the First Nations people and the African-American people in our countries and let their voices be heard. It's time for their voices, not my voice. It's, it's time for their voices. So however we can go about sharing their work online, sharing their art, sharing their music, sharing their culture, sharing their history, sharing links to support African-American artists, African-American activists and Aboriginal artists, educators, activists, all of those, all of those people lifting up those people and sharing their work and making sure that they get paid for their work and they get acknowledgement and all of those things. I don't want to leave anything out. That's why it's going for so long. I'm sorry. Thank you, Emily. Thank you all for listening. Do whatever you can, even if it feels tiny and insignificant, whatever you can, that's all you can do. But if you can do something, whether it's sharing Emily's Instagram page, whether it's liking it, following it, sharing it in your stories, whether it's share it, whether it's following another page or tagging your friends in posts, whatever it is, everything is a stepping stone. So whatever, you, however you can act, even if it's an imperfect action, like this podcast is an imperfect action. As Emily said, our, our, if we can, ed- obviously educating our children, educating young people, but pumping up First Nations voices and the voices of African Americans, however we can, that's what I plan on doing for the future. In the future, educating myself and my family, and doing my best to not be a part of the pro- of the problem any longer as much as I possibly can and sending you all so much love I love you all I I know this is a really hard time it's just a really hard time but it's much harder time for African Americans and people of color in general and First Nations people who have less access to medical treatment during COVID-19 who have less access to secure housing to funding to resources to so many things so now is a scary time for everyone because of the pandemic, but it is a scarier time, as Emily said. And so the people who are protesting know that they need to ride this wave, even though the significant risk to their health and the health of their family members by attending protests. But there's this constant uncertainty and fear exists for them every single day before the pandemic. So there is no safe time for them to speak out. This is the best time because the world's eyes are watching and the world's ears are listening. I'm listening and I hope you all are too. See you all next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? 
Riding with you in the sunnier day.